Hello, beautiful people. My name is Mitchell, and this is the Back to the Present podcast, where I sit down and discuss this roller coaster we call life with people of all different smells and smiles. On today's episode of the podcast, we have Dr. Friedman. Dr. Friedman is an award winning author, an empowerment coach who transforms anxiety into confidence. Welcome, Doctor. How's life? Well, life is pretty good. I have to say it's like these simple, simple little things in life sometimes that make me happy. So, for example, we had rain in the last three days. I mean, you in Australia probably also sometimes have these periods where you just want rain. And we had a hot, yep. dry summer. So, yep. yeah, I saw the rain. I saw nature coming back. Made me happy. Beautiful. Um, uh, that was obviously a, a very brief introduction and, um, what I'd like from you is just a little bit more of an explanation as to, um, how you got where you are and what you're doing with yourself nowadays. Well, that's takes a while, but I'm going to make it short that's because, you know, I think my story is a story that I think a lot of people may have uh, or may be able to relate to or may have experienced themselves. So I started out as an anxious child of people that were uh, anxious themselves. So, you know, I took it on myself kind of to absorb their anxiety. And since my name is Friedman, which means man of peace uh, in German, I also was the designated peacemaker. So I had a, a duty to do to fix the marriage of my parents and somehow help my sister to be a little bit more at ease. And that anxiety that I felt with this job and all the things I couldn't control was just a, you know, you would say a companion for the first 25, 30 years of my life. Uh, I didn't want to go into medicine. I had to go into medicine because everything else, everyone else was a doctor. So I. I basically was convinced or people told me, well, it makes sense if you also become a doctor. So I became a doctor and it was actually really along the lines of helping people. I always felt connected to people and wanted to help people. But the way Western medicine worked was not really satisfying because it was so, uh, you know, symptom oriented. And it was so much about getting through the vast amount of patients uh, as efficiently as possible without really having a chance to learn to know them or talking with them. And, and so after, uh, yeah, after seven years, I just decided this is really not what I can do. I was in cardiology. I was in a big hospital. It was a lot about research. So I stepped out and said, okay, let's take two years break and do a postdoc. And there something happened. I did a postdoc in the US and I, somehow discovered that medicine was somehow giving us only a little uh, glimpse of what really is true, which is that we have infinite possibilities to heal and grow. It's uh, really every cell that you uh, explore and that you try to understand gives you more questions and more things that you don't know. So there is such enormous wisdom inside of us. And we are just not tapping into this wisdom. We are more 
giving our power away to others and you know also to medicine then rather than saying okay how can i actually heal myself and this is where all came together because i learned to heal my anxiety throughout this time without medication and the way i healed my anxiety was basically by asking myself what is actually the anxiety trying to tell me and there are people that helped me along the ways and and uh, things I learned, techniques, and especially the power of the subconscious mind. And what I just found is that anxiety is not the enemy, is not necessarily you know, a condition that we have to live with. It's often this deeper inner subconscious voice that says, you know, you are not okay. You're not on the right track. You are not, you know, living in the present you're living still in the past. And for me in the past, living was having to be the helper, the pleaser, and also the overachiever. And when I understood all of those things and could change those beliefs and patterns, I realized that anxiety was my greatest catalyst because it made me do what I really was meant to do, which is what I'm doing now, you know, helping people all over the world to overcome their challenges, get unstuck, find and discover their authentic selves and write books about it. And so since the last 20 years, I think I found the groove and the purpose. And so the anxiety helped me to get there. If I would have not felt anxiety, I probably would be still in cardiology, totally overweight, eating bad food and having two heart attacks. So I'm glad I didn't have to do any of those things <laughs> because the anxiety made me wake up and pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, geez, it's, 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 it's quite funny that um, we're having this conversation because uh, I, was, I was talking to a friend and I think I may have mentioned on a recent podcast of, of late how um, for most of my life up until recently, uh, I've been anxious but i didn't really know that i was anxious so you know people would talk about anxiety and depression and these other types of emotions and and for the most part i i, I didn't really um well I, I clearly didn't understand what it was you know um and it took until <clears throat> it took until a uh a coach sort of pointed out to me and sort of like directly said, not accusing me, but so it was like, you, you're an anxious person, aren't you? And it was in that moment that I was like, it, it all, my, all of these um, prior thoughts <clears throat> and experiences I'd had up until that point, I didn't realize, but a lot of them were anxious. And it was like, it was just like this aha moment where I realized that I can be anxious and for a lot and for and a lot of the time i am um and, and since then i've i've worked on it and my point here is that um th is that i wasn't aware of it and then when i become aware of it which i'm sure you, you will speak on and you can elaborate further on to then we can start to do something with it um but the only thing other thing i'll say before i ask the question is is you just touched on it then and for me um at first it was like, oh, I, I am anxious. What can I do about this? And it was almost like, not trying to change certain things, but like I had a bit of a fix it approach. Um, not to say that it doesn't need to be fixed because we don't want to continue our lives being anxious. Um, but it wasn't until I started to listen to that anxiety and, um, you know, have a bit more of an understanding as to 
why I was feeling that way and ask myself and sort of sit with myself and, and, um, and rather than run from it, just sort of be anxious and sort of just ask why I was anxious. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm sure we're going to go into this a little bit more, but in, in situations like that, I feel like a lot of people are probably going to be anxious. Certain things are going to make, make them more anxious than others. Um, but for people that maybe were in a similar position to say myself, where I just wasn't aware of it for whatever reason, um, are there some signs that you see in people, um, some anxious signs, some symptoms, whatever we want to call them, that, that are sort of reoccurring themes that people might not be aware of? Well, I mean, often anxiety shows up in behavior. And uh, since we are not always paying attention to our, to our emotions, because in our world, emotions are a little bit, you know, I don't know, stigmatized. You have good emotions. That's great. Yeah, be happy, be confident, but no bad emotions. No, no, that's, that's a no, no, don't, don't show them. So we are kind of distracting ourselves from anxiety. So behavior could be behavior where you realize, so, why is it that when I'm home alone, I, you know, have to turn on the TV or I'm pacing around like a tiger in a cage? Or why is it that as soon as I have accomplished something, I'm already looking for the next thing to accomplish? Or why is it that my thoughts when I'm out there and meeting people are afterwards all about the things I said, maybe stupidly, or where people reacted in a way that made me feel like they may have not agreed with me. So all those things are, you know, signs of anxiety. But you know, the word anxiety is so, you know, overused, because there may be things where you would say, like, well, let's say yes, there can be anxiety, but there can also be stress, there can also be self doubt, there can also be, you know, worry, we cannot just make this big umbrella of anxiety, because then we don't really understand what the anxiety is all about. And what you said about fixing is so important, because if you see anxiety as a problem, yeah, you want to fix the problem. But if you anxiety, if you see anxiety as a need, there is something inside that needs something, then you want to attend to the need. And so that's why comparing anxiety to pain and I, you know, or to to let's say hunger or thirst or feeling tired that there is a need of your body please address that need, you know, you have pain, okay, what is the wound that needs to heal you are hungry, you need to have food, etc. So when the anxiety comes up, there is a need, a need of your mind to get attention. And if we are fixing it, it's like we're suffocating it or trying to stomp it out or get rid of it or whatever it is, and we are not paying attention to the need. And we're not understanding that the anxiety is not an illogical little devil inside of us, there is something that says, Oh, my God, I need reassurance, I need uh, a new worldview, I need uh, a sense that I do actually belong and matter or whatever those things are. And that's what we have to really delve into. Because then the anxiety is a possibility for change and growth, and not just the problem that you know, we feel like, you know, held back with or by. Yeah, and and it's it's important to remember that isn't it because it's like we don't want to approach it uh, approach it as something that we just want to get rid of we want to approach as, uh, approach it like what you're saying as this is an opportunity to teach us or about 
X, Y, and Z or to show us X, Y, Z, you know, it's, if, if we can, it, I suppose, you know, it's just a, it's a slight reframing. We're using anxiety as an example, but no doubt these, um, these terms and these concepts probably apply to other certain emotions and things like that. But yeah, I, I always say it's, 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 it's really important. It's just a, sl a small, slight shift in reframing what it actually, why it's actually there. Um, in my opinion anyway, creates a huge opportunity for that person, whatever it is, whether it's anxiety or depression. I don't think it really matters what it is in this instance, obviously, is anxiety. Um, so, yeah, I, I think if – obviously, we can't dive too deep into how you work as a doctor um, with these types of things, um, but an empowerment coach, I mean, it sounds – you've already explained it to a certain extent, it sounds somewhat um, obvious, but is is there an approach that you, like some guidelines that you use in your method, um, or is it a little bit more individualized, or a mix of both? It's definitely a mix of both. Yeah. And it's also sometimes, I would say intuitive almost, that you just really know, okay, this is what this person needs. and. But the, the guideline is basically, especially when it comes to anxiety, first of all, we have to understand ourselves. That means we have to really understand uh, the model of our world. We have to understand, you know, what are the significant events of the past? Uh, it's always interesting to me when at the beginning people come to me and say, well, I had a really great childhood. And then when you really look underneath there and you realize, well, no, yes, maybe on paper it was great, but there was all these little events that really shaped you. Like a client of mine said, you know, my parents were so supportive, but when he was little and he had to go um, into a swim team and he really didn't want to swim, he really hated it. You know, his father basically shamed him into doing it anyhow. And, and that stuck with him for you know all his life this i cannot allow myself to have a boundary or to say no or because uh, you know my my parents or my authority figures in my life will be displeased with me so little events like this we, you know we often we are just thinking about the the traumas of abuse or or neglect but little events like this can create a confusion in the mind that unless it is really resolved will ultimately just keep us stuck and so that's the first step, just understanding your how you work. And, and then I think there are three things I like to work with at the beginning with anxiety. One is the emotional baggage, because we do have emotional baggage. And that baggage is often something we feel, especially when we get triggered. You know, you let's say you, you have the baggage of feeling anxious, uh, among strangers and uh, you feel you're pretty outgoing you have a good you know uh, friend circle of friends and so on but as soon as you go into a situation where you don't know a person or several people you go into the corner and you you just disappear you shrink you just feel like, oh my god I, you know, I cannot go so all that feeling of being say a wallflower or ostracized or maybe even bullied all this uh, emotional baggage comes back and takes over and makes you do things. So it's like this, you know, this bathtub ready to overflow. And so that's important to just really uh, clarify. Emotional baggage is not like the garbage of our life. It's all the unresolved events and emotions that we have 
kind of confusion around and we have to go back and clarify them. And that's best done in a light trance with a subconscious mind because logically, a lot of things we may have thought about or talked about, but emotionally, which is the language of the subconscious, we haven't really addressed it. We haven't really showed up in that way. And then the second thing is the, the, the battles within ourselves. How many of us are constantly in conflict with ourselves? You know, I had the conflict of, you know, on the one hand, feeling I have to prove something that I'm worthy and good enough. But on the other hand, having a really fear of failure. And so I pushed myself always to the next thing, another doctorate, another, you know, big goal. And then at the same time, there was a part of me that just was like a little mouse looking for a hole to crawl in and finally, you know, be safe. And that's conflict that create a lot of anxiety. And, you know, you can see the conflict with people that want to be in a relationship and they force themselves to go on dates. And then they're at the same time so afraid of getting rejected or getting hurt again. Friction inside creates anxiety, this tug of war we are we are fighting with ourselves. And then the third step is, you know, really changing your identity. I mean, identity in, in terms of how you see yourself and how you see the world. And most of us have that identity uh, constructed during our early years and we never change it. We don't change our belief system. We still believe that, you know, somehow we are only lovable if or we don't really fit in or we are kind of different and awkward or the world is a very judgmental, harsh place or whatever we are made believe. And we have to go back and say, is this really the owner's manual that I want to live in? This is really how I want to see the world. And all those three steps are basically making you outgrow the anxiety patterns and grow from it. And yeah. that is what happens usually in those empowerment sessions. Awesome. I can't wait to dive into it. <laughs> hey, I was just going to say that uh, yeah, I thought that come to mind was my, my favorite, um, my favorite question to, to do ask myself um, really at any time, but um, especially when there's times, um, you know, times even when I'm anxious or whatever else is going on or there's something going on, overwhelmed or any of these types of emotions is I just ask, who am I? And I ask that to myself. And what's interesting I find is, is often, you know, I feel like we know who we are on a really deep level. But what I find anyway is in those instances of asking that question, I, what I, the answers I get are often who I'm not and they often help me with these types of um, negative thoughts or, you know, these, these, these battles that we have going on in our head. Because if I'm having this battle um, about whatever it is, I can't think of an example now, I can often get caught in thinking and starting to attach myself to this identity that I've created in, inside, which isn't real. It's, it's more of an illusion. And simply by just asking who I am, I'm like, oh, well, I'm actually not that, you know, that person that is having this strange, obscure thought in my mind. And it always brings me back to who I am by asking that question multiple times. Anyway, I just thought it's such a simple question. And I, and I, and I, it's like, I just find it funny because I can ask that question of myself at any stage during the day, no matter what I'm doing. And you, you, the dialogue that you can have with yourself is 
um, it's it's different almost every single time, and it's it's yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy how fascinating something that simple can be. Anyway, all of those points. I think that's excellent. I would though also ask then, who am I? You know, when I'm not this person, because I mean, the not is always a challenging one, especially for the subconscious. You know, the the not puts the focus still on the not, on whatever is not. You know. For example, when people write, you know, at the beginning down there, their goals and they're saying, I don't want to be anxious, well, their focus is still on anxiety. And that's one of the, the keys to get away from that focus and say, I want to be confident. So yeah. the knot is a really great way to say, okay, let's go into what I would like to be instead, or what I see in myself instead, and using those positive words. Yeah. See, words trigger something inside of us, right? Every word has some kind of a response, and and that emotional response is what the subconscious usually uh, comprehends, or that is uh, the way a word resonates with the subconscious. And that's why positive and negative self-talk are so powerful. Yeah, detrimental and also uplifting. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, what what we think becomes our reality. What we believe is essentially what we think, and then what we think um, dictates right. dictates our actions, which is super powerful. Um, now I've heard you talk about, well, obviously now, but in, in on your own podcast and some other things, there's the the subconscious, and I know a lot of people talk about it. Um, but um, what caught me, and I don't know when I heard the, you mention this, was uh, interpreting the subconscious thoughts when they're shaped as metaphors. Um, I don't know if you remember <laughs> when you met. When yes. You, um, but can you elaborate that? Maybe just a real brief explanation on the subconscious, although I feel like most people have that um, basic understanding. But for the sake of this conversation, uh, just touching on that quickly. And then, and then yeah, and then understanding those um understanding those thoughts that can be shaped as metaphors well you know the subconscious is just uh for me a enormous ally it's just uh if you really think about the subconscious as the earliest uh, protector in your life the one that was active way before your conscious mind was even developed uh, then you know your subconscious has pretty much your best interest in mind. And it has a lot of functions, emotions, uh, how the body works, memories, uh, our value system, all those things that we do automatically. It's all not really run by the conscious mind because our conscious mind is like a, an, you know, a Apple computer from the 90s. It's, it's pretty you know, slow and not really very well versed. The subconscious is the one that when we enter a room, picks up on the energy of the room. It's like when someone looks at us and we don't see the person because that person is behind us, we still feel it. I mean, the subconscious is incredible. And it gives you also these quick insights, you know, where you just know, even though you don't know why you know. And so it's about a thousand times faster. It's definitely a, a really powerful aspect of ourselves but it's also unfortunately something that we don't utilize to its potential i often say that uh, when einstein says we are only using 10 percent of our potential well i think that's the 90 percent we are pretty much leaving on, our, on its own and that's where conscious subconscious collaboration is so powerful just to 
to be able to to connect with the subconscious now the subconscious communicates with dreams we all know this you know you have a dream and then you interpret the dream sometimes it's literally just releasing stuff or working through stuff sometimes it's messages that come up you know i was recently uh, on a on a nine-day hike through uh, the compostelle which is you know the the camino this uh, pilgrimage from uh, one place is from france to spain and we did this for actually 10 days and uh, and i had as an intention because you set an intention on those pilgrimages you, my intention was to release uh, grief and things that i have been holding on to this year because i had some losses that happened and uh, and so I wrote this in this big cathedral. I put it into the bowl. And uh, and then I had, I think for the first time ever, in the next nine nights, only nightmares, <laughs> only dreams about really, I mean, intense stuff. I mean, not only death, but also uh, rape. And I mean, really, really intense stuff. And I knew this was my subconscious working through things. And as soon as it was over, as soon as we were back home, the dreams ended. I know my dreams, but they were so. I think it's the subconscious listens really well, and and it does what we want it to do. But you know, when it, for example, tells us like intrusive thoughts, that was the topic that we talked about. The metaphors, you know, where you have all of a sudden a thought of, what if I take this knife and stab now my partner? And you get really shocked. Oh my God, you know, this is terrible. How can I want to stab my partner? Am I, you know, a psychopath? And so basically the, you know, metaphor when it happens more often that you want to kill, you know, push whatever the people around you, the metaphor is simply that there is this subconscious desire either to feel free because you feel maybe stifled, maybe you feel controlled, maybe you feel limited, or to get attention. And you know, it's it's one of those things where similar to anxiety, it's an extreme thought and it's a strong, intense feeling connected to it that wakes you up. Because one thing the subconscious knows, our attention span is less than most of our sweaters. I mean, it's unbelievable how little we have really the ability to focus. And it's unbelievable how easy we are distractible, like little children. It gets worse and worse the more we are hooked on social media. So the subconscious say, hey, I need to wake them up. So let's make them really pay attention. And these negative, intense, intrusive thoughts wake us up to something we usually don't pay attention to. And yeah. so we have to see it metaphorically because you will not, because the conscious mind is the ruling factor in your life. The conscious mind decides if you're going to grab a knife or not, but the subconscious doesn't want you to grab a knife. The subconscious simply says, hey, there's something that really bothers me. And when you really think about it, and often when I have people that have those thoughts, they're not uncommon, they tell me, yeah, what bothers me is, one client had this about her father, what bothers me that I feel like I'm not hurt. I, I want to say something, but I feel like I get either shut down or I get dismissed or no one pays attention. So really understanding, I just want to be heard and then doing something about this. And then the thoughts stop, which is, you know, message received. Yeah, it's, I wonder, I mean, everyone's maybe like the intensity of those intrusive thoughts that you're talking about, I imagine is different for different people and throughout 
different right of their life of course no, no doubt um but when we have those thoughts regardless of what they are regardless of how intense they are um and they are shaped as these metaphors like we're, we're talking about do you you know like say for example when i would have a similar thought i i try to i try to question that thought without too much without sort of reciprocating the intensity but kind of more exploring it like and seeing where it takes me um what what do you suggest like when people have these types of things because the reason why i'm asking this is because when people have a thought about killing someone like you said it's it's often got nothing to do with killing someone but that person could easily think that oh oh, geez i'm a bad person just having that thought when actually that's it's, it's not the case there's there's something more that's going on so is there some questions that you offer people or something along a line of thinking that you use to reframe that, (laughs) reframe those intrinsic thoughts? Well, I think it's important that we don't overanalyze our thoughts because a lot of those thoughts can be also just random. I mean, there is this random spouting out. I mean, I don't know how many times I've thought about killing myself and I have (laughs) never really intended to kill myself, but it's just a random thought that comes up and that's it. I mean, there is nothing. So the thoughts that you want to pay attention to are those thoughts that keep on coming, that seem to be, you know, just the, the message that knocks at your door. And, and the worst is, I'm glad that you mentioned this, the worst is if you see a thought like this, and then you scare yourself with a thought, because then you basically make the thought like, you know, something you have to be afraid of. And whatever we are afraid of, you know, we are kind of giving extra power. So it's it's better just to say, okay, most people, I would say 99% of people have intrusive thoughts and most intrusive thoughts are random and maybe sometimes taking out the garbage of the subconscious, but they are not necessarily anything that has any deeper meaning that needs to be analyzed. But if there are thoughts that come back, pay attention, write them down, just neutrally like you do, just observe, and then look at the theme because a theme often And I know when I had these thoughts about, you know, uh, killing myself and when they came up over and over again, I remember there were times, and this was especially when I worked in the hospital, where I was really feeling trapped. You know, I felt trapped in a career, in a job, in a contract that I felt there was no way out. And so it was really more this, how do I get out of here? And And of course, uh, suicide is the ultimate way out, but that was not my intention. And it's not what the subconscious wants you to do because it wants to preserve your life and not take your life away. But again, it is something where you need to say, okay, how can I add more freedom? How can I maybe even think about changing careers or getting an exit ramp or whatever those things are? And, And that is in itself helpful because you know I understand that what really bothers me is this entrapment and not the thought. It's it's just the, the symptom. Don't shoot the messenger, listen to the message. And I think that's where we start to collaborate with the subconscious. And then when we actually listen to the subconscious, eventually it doesn't have to send us these big, you know, wake up calls. It can much more subtly talk to us and communicate with us. It's the same with the body. You know, I was unaware of my body for a while because I was too busy. And then I got sick. I got, you know, some uh, gallbladder infection and stuff like that. And 
So that really made me aware of, you know, I'm eating food that's not really good. I probably, living in France, drink too much wine. I have way too much cheese because I'm vegetarian, so I think I need to have some protein. All this stuff wasn't really good for me. But my body needed to really give me a little bit the sledgehammer here to find me in the hospital, in the emergency room with excruciating pain. I thought I have a heart attack to make me realize, pay attention. And now I can much more feel the subtleties of my body. Oh, no, this is not good. Or this is, you know, what you want. And it's a communication with the body as well. And there is also a communication with the subconscious. The more we tuned in, the more fine and more subtle it becomes. And, you know, it just goes more back and forth easier. Yeah, I, I like how you've mentioned um, the collaboration between the conscious and the subconscious a few times because it's I, I think it's um yeah I, I think it's, it's it's really important to remember that although they operate differently they're still one in the same thing in, in some regards um and you know because <clears throat> like these thoughts that we're talking about now but also in other aspects you can get we, we everybody can get caught in thinking that you know the subconscious is subconscious and it's doing its thing and there's nothing we can do about it and it's going on in the background which which you know to a certain extent is happening but also there is the ability to listen to it collaborate with it um and almost like i don't know if you use it to our advantage is the right words but you know tap into the power which i think you said early on um so on that on that sort of topic do you do you find that do you find that people are, are scared to sort of listen to those subconscious thoughts? Do you, do you, where, where, do you, where do you find the themes are as far as resistance goes, like making that collaboration? Well, I think an awareness is probably the, the biggest hurdle that we just don't really yeah. feel we have the time or the need to, to pay attention to those thoughts or most people don't even notice their dreams or even the feelings, you know, the feelings are, again, subconscious messages that we don't really listen to. You know, I think it's a, let's say life is a journey and, and, uh, you know, the, the subconscious and the body are the car. The conscious mind is a driver, but this car is a very, really sophisticated car and it tells you when you're off track. It has a GPS system and has like these, you know, non-collision, whatever things that allow you not to you know, drive your car against a tree. So it, it really helps. But in the end, if you are a terrible driver who doesn't listen to any of the messages of the car, you can still end up in the ditch. Yeah. And so the collaboration is about listening to what is you know, this beautiful conscious, uh, subconscious uh, uh, collaboration uh, help you to reach your destination? Because in the end, it's you who chooses this. You know, you can choose. I could have chosen being, you know, staying in cardiology and I could have chosen still to find my path in different ways. You know, I could have chosen to be healthier there. I could have chosen to help people in different ways. And it could be a really just beautiful life. I wouldn't have to necessarily make these drastic changes. It just happened to be this way. But uh, so I think when people listen to their subconscious, they sometimes are afraid that, oh, my God, that means I have to leave my, you know, my family, it means like I need to, you know, go into a monastery or whatever. It's like, no, the subconscious just gives you ideas. But in the end, you are the one who says, okay, what brings me that 
what the subconscious needs, which is maybe a need for safety. Maybe it's a need for, you know, greater uh, emotional awareness. Maybe it's a need for being of more purpose in life. Whatever those things are, the subconscious has a need that it believes is the need of the entirety of the being. It's not just a subconscious need. It's and you don't know, you know, if this is uh, something you can relate to, but there is definitely also a, let's say, higher consciousness or, you know, an essence or a spirit that we are having. And I believe that there is a, it's impossible to really meditate without the subconscious being connected to the meditation. And so it's impossible to really connect to your, to your essence and to your soul unless the subconscious is the bridge there. So I believe intellectually we can understand there may be a, conce uh, a concept of a, you know, of a, of a spirit or an eternal self that also resides within us. But I think it's the subconscious that helps us to connect to that. So the subconscious also, if we have a purpose here, maybe we came here for a reason. It's not the conscious mind who helps you to get there. It's the subconscious who tells you, well, you know, it feels wrong because you're here actually not to make, you know, millions of dollars. You're here because you want to help people, because you are here to, you know, help people to find the light, to empower themselves. Or, you know, others may feel like I'm here actually to be an advocate for those that are uh, ignored and not be someone who just takes money from the rich or whatever those things are, you know, so many people feel anxious because they know they don't live the life they are supposed to live, but they don't know what else they should be doing. And mm -hmm. so the subconscious can help us to get more in alignment with that. And that's part of what I'm writing in the book and the empowerment solution. There is a process that helps you to remember more of your purpose and the reason to be here and connect with your essence. And there the subconscious is necessary to guide you there. Yeah, awesome explanation. It's it's hard when we start to do those things that you're talking about. A lot of that anxiety and all the other things that we're talking about as well, they they don't fall away, but you know the, their intensity and um, how long we have them for. As I, as I begin to really understand myself, there's those types of things they're just not as prevalent as they once were. And and I do believe, like you said, it it comes back to that spirit or whatever we want to call it that um that uh higher consciousness whatever people call it because people call it lots of different things what i find the most interesting about that um because i could talk about it all day what i find most interesting about it is there gets a point i don't know about you but there gets a point where we talk about those kind of stuffs and words start to do it injustice <laughs> and it becomes quite difficult and which is all that, which is why i'm laughing because it's so funny because it's a topic I'm interested in. I like talking about it. And on a podcast, it's kind of cool to discuss it and open a dialogue. But it's also quite interesting because everybody has such a unique opinion on that matter that there's almost like there's no right or wrong answer. There's your answer, there's my answer. And then it's kind of fun to mesh, right. mesh those two answers together because it's like, it's just a mystery, really, isn't it? Like we can't, it's, yeah. we can't understand it with those conscious thoughts. Um, and yet, you know, some that might deter some people from believing in it or whatever it is. But I also think that that's, it's quite powerful in just sort of accepting that 
some things just can't be explained with words, but it's also fun to try to every now and then. I I totally agree with you. But I think also that maybe it's not about explaining, maybe it's about experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I think there is where the emotions really help. You know, we spend so much time, you know, on our in our work to help people to not feel something, you know, mm-hmm. depressed, insecure, anxious. But we also have to really spend time to help people feel that what is really connecting us to this experience, let's say, of connectedness or oneness or alignment, uh, which is a sense of deep peace. You know, the peace is such an important aspect of of feeling that you are, you know, that you arrived at that state where it's not about survival, it's not about self-defense, it's not about striving, it's there is something about peace where you feel like, okay, I am right now in this moment, okay. And uh, and when you feel this, you're open to go deeper and also feel that connection to this eternal self. And uh, there is not a big thought or there is not, you know, anything that can necessarily describe it. But I feel that peace is really underrated we are not doing enough work on finding this peace within and uh, yes we talk about meditation and so on but often it's a meditation to you know let the thoughts go that are negative or it's about you know the releasing but i find peace and maybe because it's my name but it's really a destination i think it's really really important to make peace a priority in our life because from peace so much is possible so much it's like the landing pad where we can start then to venture out from but the the piece is where i try to plug myself back into because that's where i feel the most nourishment that's where i feel most clear and and whatever that piece means it can be you know so many people feel the most peace in nature but do we really go out in nature you know in this hike i saw a guy who was beautiful and then later on we became friends he was hugging a tree and you know people walking by he did not care a bit he was just having this little communion with this tree and it was really beautiful and and he just said yeah i felt it this tree was calling me and i just felt this moment of i want to really you know be uh, with this tree right now and what a wonderful thing to do and he said oh i felt so at peace afterwards and it was so grounding and all the things that i felt like i had taken with me all these questions disappeared why not off more often doing this you know i think it's just a wonderful thing that he allowed himself to do and i think we just have to find the ways that bring us peace and really foster them and make them a priority in our lives yeah that's awesome and i like I'm I'm not laughing at the man hugging the tree because I've hugged a tree before. But <laughs> what I'm laughing is what I'm not laughing. I, I, I just think it's humorous because we've all got, which is what you just said, we've all got our own tree. You know, there's all there, there's maybe it's a tree in the example that you've got, but there's instances where all of us, myself included, where we have this, uh, for lack of a better word, desire to say hug a tree, but we don't do it. You know what I mean? We have mm. the desire to get out in nature and go for a walk, but we don't do it, you know, and the examples flow on. So I suppose, you know, I think it's just, it's a matter of, uh, from, from my experience anyway, 
it's just when I have these sort of um, intuitive thoughts and stuff like that, it's, it's once upon a time, I certainly, I was scared to do it. You know what I mean? Like we use the tree as an example because, you know, oh, people are going to walk past and they're going to see this bloke hugging a right, tree. Right, right. But um, the, the more I've sort of lent into towards that um, way of thinking, it's just like, who cares, you know? Like who cares if they really, if they think differently. Yeah. If you're hugging a tree. Again, we keep using the tree as an example, but it's, it's anything really like i think there's there becomes we um we construct this fear around doing something that we kind of know is going to give us the peace that you're talking about but for whatever reason um we're scared of doing it i, I don't know why i'm not sure if you can comment on that but i fully agree i i feel like a lot of people n- know what creates peace within them some not always but some do but then they don't we don't do it anyway. I agree. And I think it's uh, something where we have excuses. It's like, you know, just we, we know what's good for us when it comes to food, but we still have excuse that we don't have the time. So we find ourselves at the drive through of, you know, our face favorite fast food joint and so much easier too much faster. And it's so bad for our body. So Excuses are certainly one thing. The the feel of standing out and uh, the feeling of being different is another one because there is a deep need to belong and and not stand out. But I also feel like, you know, we have to probably explore ways to find peace because it's not just doing nothing. I think one thing that finds or for me brings a lot of peace is finding my own pace because I think we are all in a rush. And we all, you know, feeling like there is a race that we participate in, although we don't really know where the finish line is or if there is any prize to win, but we are all in the same race. And and it's hard for us to say, you know what, I don't want to run. I want to go for the next thing. I don't feel like it's necessary for me to be that fast. I'm just going to go at my own pace and go slower and that feels better. And that means I'm not packing the weekend full so that on Monday I can tell my colleagues how amazing things I did. And that means I'm not looking for all these photo ops for Instagram so that I can afterwards, you know, show that I'm such a cool person. No, I'm just going to go my own pace and I'm going to find my own rhythm that may take a little time. But when you do this, you are actually flowing in a, in a piece that moves you forward but you feel more, yeah, somewhat in alignment with what is right for you. And that is a big one when it comes to peace. What is the right speed? What is the right you know, way you spend your day? What is it where you feel no longer pushed or rushed, but you feel like I'm deliberately moving forward? That's like a 24-7 piece if you reach that. It's tough. I mean, I, I'm not there, but uh, it's definitely a destination I want to head for. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, um, up until a few years ago, I've shared this before, but up until a few years ago, not to anybody else, but to myself, um, I, I, I termed myself a Russiaholic. I, <laughs> I, I realized that I just, you know, I was rushing to the point of missing out on the small things, which you, which you mm. actually when we first started speaking and it only i was only able to do something about that when i became aware of the fact that i was just rushing and then you know as i started to unlayer that realize that you know i was rushing probably to escape a lot of things and um and anyway it's it's 
it's it's been a process, and I'm and I'm forever grateful that I was once a Russia holic because now I know how not to be that person. Mm-hmm. I, I know how to um, and I, look again. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean that I'm not. I don't rush ever. That's certainly not what I'm trying to say. But I'm a, a lot more aware of it now, which means I can do something about it and I can pick my pace, which is exactly what you're saying. Um, but <laughs> I was thinking, I seen a um a video not long ago. I, I, I can't remember the exact details. Someone showed me a video, right? And it was it was a bunch of people. It was like, I think it was like a, a group of people doing, say, a CrossFit workout, right? And they were running past a cafe or something like that. And everybody in the cafe thought they were running from something. So they got up and ran away as well. They thought something. <laughs> and they ran away. And you made me uh, that's what we're all doing aren't we we're all we all see everybody rushing fucking doing doing everything thinking we all need to do it this way and we need to get there and we need to fill our time every second of the day needs to be filled and you know it's almost like because we see everybody else do it we're sort of naturally just um <laughs> like i said before with that um with that video i sent it's like everyone just assumes that we need to be rushing and obviously we don't need to be and until we um yeah, it was just funny because when I seen that video, I was, and then when you said that, I was like, until we realised that we're just chasing people that are just doing a CrossFit workout, <laughs> we could have sat down and finished <laughs> our, our meal. There's actually no danger. It's it anyway. It's 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 well. At least the CrossFit people knew why they were doing it, but the others didn't really. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's something that I uh, am really sometimes uh, a little shocked about uh, with people that are barely twenty how they are already thinking about all these benchmarks they have to reach in life. Oh my God, I need to, you know, have a girlfriend. I need to then find a job that pays well. Then I need to start having a mortgage. Now, you know, the dog is next and then we have to have kids. And I mean, some people would say, yeah, well, that's normal. That's life. But so many people feel trapped in these expectations. So they are rushing towards these uh you know societal goals but they also see and this is where young people write me and say you know i'm afraid of aging because i already see how my life unfolds and i don't want to have it like this but i don't know how else to get out of it it's this this race of having to live in those cookie cutter ways and feeling like i'm gonna end up like my parents and i see how they're miserable and i can see that you know, they're heading towards retirement and looking back at all these years and what did they really live? What did they really enjoy? And and I think they're right. I think it's important for us to redefine what we really want, because if you are 19 and think you're already behind, then you have a problem because with 19, you barely started. There is no behind and there is no behind in a race or anything. It's just your natural unfoldment of life. And I mean, I could say I found my purpose, you know, in my mid thirties. So whatever it is, just take your time and don't let yourself be rushed. It is really your life and that's precious. And it's your experience, your piece of work or art or whatever you want to call it. And no one should put their little sausage fingers in there. You're going to decide for yourself what is right for you. But that's the empowerment that we often miss. And I think we have to to claim that in order to be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. I um, I just finished reading the, uh, I think it's called the 80-20 principle. I know there's a few books on it. 
Richard Koch or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's talking about a lot of areas. You know, he gives very good examples. I don't know if you've read it, but he gives very good examples of business and money and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like the the, the biggest, I mean, I got a lot of takeaways out of it. It was a really interesting book, but the big one of the biggest takeaways I got out of it was like, yeah, like where am I spending 80% of my time for 20% of the results? And it's not necessarily results. It could be, you know, like, let's just call it happiness or whatever it ends up being and, and, and vice versa. What, what's the 20% of the time that I'm spending and I'm not getting the results, uh, sorry, that I am getting the happiness mm-hmm. looking for. And, and it really, it, it opens you up to thinking like, you know, the same thing. We always talk about that awareness part of it. If I'm aware of that 20% that is um, c- creating peace and happiness, which is what we're talking about, well, there's actually nothing that stops me from doing more of that. <laughs> you right, know? And right. I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is what you're saying as well, and it's kind of just be, becoming aware of it at first, and and um, and then and then we can and then we can do something about it, of course. Um, but it's yeah it's super interesting when you start to have those realizations as to what really is important and and why you're rushing and you know because a lot of the times the stuff that say we're rushing for they aren't really that important you know and and we don't and more often than not we never really need to be rushing yeah there could be a time management thing um around it but i know from 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 um speaking for myself anyway when I notice it these days, that that, that rush of comes back in me, I, I pause and I'm like, and I, and I sort of, I recognize it. And I'm like, what am I rushing for here? And I'm, I really think about what I'm doing, whether it's work or something. I'm like, oh, hold on a second. I actually don't have to be rushing. I actually don't have a, <laughs> a, a, a right, right. time to do. Like, why am I rushing? You know. And then what I find to be the most enjoyable part about that realization is the thing that I could be rushing doing I'm not really enjoying it while I'm rushing it. As soon as I have that realization and then I'm like, oh, I don't need to be rushing, whatever it is, even if it's something that I don't necessarily want to be doing, it, it's actually more enjoyable because I'm just I'm just mm. cruising along and I'm just picking my own pace, which is also what you said before. And it's, like you said, it's, it's empowering to realize that you have that power. Well, I totally agree. And that's why I'm not always in agreement with the 80-20 rule, because I feel like we have a choice even in the most mundane things that don't necessarily look like, oh, this is enjoyable to find joy. Yeah. And, you know, I read this book once about this guy who says he, he's a, he was a Buddhist monk and he was saying that the best meditations he has when he does the dishes. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes we just have to also say, is it us who are framing certain things in, well, this is, we just have to get over with, this is where the joy points are. Well, maybe not. Maybe we can find joy in anything. It's just our decision. Are we present with it? And are we doing it deliberately? Or are we doing it in a way that creates more anxiety and stress? Because we are rushing towards maybe productivity or just getting it done and checking it off or whatever those things are. Yeah. I think that's... Uh, it comes back to the pace, you know, the pace in life. We don't have to make life like, you know, we had school. Oh, I hate math. I hate physics. Oh, yeah, I like, you know, art and uh, physical stuff. No, I mean, you can just enjoy it all because everything is an opportunity. You know, I discovered since uh, living in France that I love being a little farmer. 
And so I have a tractor and I go in the fields and sometimes I mow the fields and that can be quite boring, but it's really meditative because you need to just go up and down and up and down. And, you know, after hours of that, I just feel, ah, it's like refreshing. There is something about it that really feels very good. And so we, we need to just make what life brings us or we choose to do in life meaningful and we give it the meaning. You mentioned this is how we create reality by choosing how we want to see it and how we want to relate to it. And I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I, I appreciate you, your, your take on that. Cause it's, it's, it's so true. Like that, that 80, 20, you know, it's, it's still within our control. It is our choice and it is a perception <laughs> and we can do, whatever, yes. we can do whatever we want with it. Um, I've heard you speak about, and we've touched on this before, uh, touched on this um, recently, but time well spent versus wasted time. Um, you know, I think for me, a lot of that um, is exactly in line with what we're talking about in the rushing and, and where we're spending our time and, and stuff like that. Um, do you think people just, do you think people know when they're <laughs> wasting time but they're doing it anyway, maybe to avoid something? Or, or do you think that people aren't really as aware of maybe what I'm assuming that they are um, when they're wasting the time versus when they're spending their time, um, for lack of a better word, wisely? I think wasting time is a tricky one. You know, I have sometimes people tell me, you know, I was two years with this person and now the relationship didn't work out. I wasted two years of my life. Well, I totally disagree with that. I mean, there is no waste in an experience. I think it's only a waste when we are not aware and when we are unconscious in the experience. So yes, you can waste on the couch six hours of your day binging a show while still being on social media and not being even aware of what you're watching. We're kind of unconscious and that's not even a good unconscious. So there it is actually, you know, you would say, I turned myself off. I became a little zombie and it's okay once in a while, but if you do this as a habit, as a hobby, then yes, you're wasting a lot of time because you're not really engaged and you're not really present. Yeah. But I do feel sometimes that, you know, we're, we can learn from stuff. Yesterday I talked to a client who told, <laughs> I'm saying I'm a little ignorant sometimes, but uh, apparently with Snapchat, you are, creating streaks. And so when you send a photo to friends and then they have to within 24 hours to send the photo back, any photo back from them. And so it goes back and forth. And so this creates streaks. And, uh, and he had a streak with a friend and it really stressed him out because as soon as he sent a photo, he had to wait, when does the photo come back so that the streak doesn't break? And and while we were talking, he was looking at the streak and, oh my God, I'm really anxious. The streak may break right now. And then 10 minutes later, ah, whew, I got the foot. So that is a waste of time because you're doing something that creates you stress for a silly application that does have no meaning besides telling you like, you know, maybe experiments, you know, in a lab with rats, push this button and you get a treat. And that's exactly what we are. We are these little lab rats that are told this is what's supposed to feel good and then we do it so that is a waste of time that you're spending energy and focus on something that you know has no meaning whatsoever 
It's yeah. not a waste when you recognize it. It's yeah. not a waste when you say my value of freedom and not being trapped in the application is more important than having this streak go on, which is as fake as having 500 friends on Facebook. Yeah, You don't even meet these people. Yeah. So there's just something about this. It's not a waste of time if you learn from something, but it's a waste of time if you become unconscious on some kind of an autopilot and you're acting and reacting in ways that don't feel good or make you feel numb yeah. and you still feel trapped in it. That's definitely a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fully agree. Yeah. Just having that simple conscious awareness of what you're doing can change what you're doing. <laughs> can't it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And you can do something totally stupid and realize, oh, this doesn't feel good and great. No waste of time because you learn from what doesn't feel good. I mean, this is where the feelings, again, give you guidance. Yeah, for sure. And in that instance that you spoke about, I'm not familiar with Snapchat either, but in that instance that you, that you spoke about, like that person has put themselves in this repeating pattern, this loop of like anxiety. And, you know, it doesn't even sound like in that instance, like they're even getting anything out of it. It's like, it's almost like they're, they're, what they're getting out of it is that anxiety, you know, where, whether they get the photo or they receive it. No, you get a little high, you know, you get the little sure. dopamine hit for five minutes, maybe. No, but that's what, that's, that, that's what I often find fascinating about it is, is surely, I mean, I'm no expert, but it's, it's, it's funny to, to think about it, but you wouldn't think that that short dopamine hit is enough to be freaking anxious for the other, however long he has to wait for the other thing. Yeah, that's just an example, of course. But you know, I mean, I, I suppose when maybe then maybe when you know, I'm thinking maybe in in the instance of the person that you were mentioning, maybe that he he lacks that piece that we've been talking about, and so maybe there because of that he's looking for that dopamine release because he's not getting some fulfillment elsewhere i'm i'm, I'm not really sure it does feel like though that he he and people that again this is just an example are sort of missing something when we're looking for something and putting ourselves through that that anxiety for just that short five second hit i mean Unfortunately, that's what most of us are doing. You know, yeah. it's this instant gratification that we want and that we somehow are searching for, and we are getting more and more primed to go for instant gratification and not for long-term satisfaction. Yeah. And so, you know, for him, it's like he has some goals that take a while to get there. So having a little short-term uh, gratification is, or, you know, is more rewarding in the moment, but it's also super distracting from his goals. So it's uh, something that, you know, obviously we're working on. But the thing that I find is important is to realize, you know, there is in Egypt a temple that is called um, Kumambo. And the, the temple is built in, you know, dark and light. It's basically representing the negative and the positive. And in the middle of this temple, there is a seat of neutrality. It's like on the line between dark and light. And, uh, and the powerful thing about Egypt is that magic is just somehow palpable or you just feel like, wow, this is cool that this even exists. So this, this seat 
when you sit on it, it's it's literally a place where you can immediately feel nothing. It's like, you know, it's so interesting when we, we often bring groups to Egypt. And so, you know, we let them sit there and say, okay, what are you feeling? And I don't know, it's like a flat line. It's just, I feel nothing. It's really neutral. It's now for half of the people that sit there, it feels nice. <sighs> it's a relief. This is great. But the other half feels totally uncomfortable. They feel like, you know, oh no, I don't want to feel neutral. Oh, this feels like, oh, that feels icky and that feels wrong. And because they are so used to the ups and downs, to these emotional roller coasters of anxiety and relief, of feeling bad and feeling good, that feeling this neutrality feels almost like, you know, not being alive anymore. And that's where, you know, coming back to this piece, I think these emotional roller coasters are so exhausting and they are so, you know, also they don't allow us to really be aware of what's important to us or let alone who we are because you're so distracting by all this, you know, noise. It's, you know, like living in a, I don't know, in a discotheque, you know, with all the flashing light, you don't really see anything anymore. And so these flashing emotions just make you feel very un, ungrounded. And so practicing feeling peace or feeling neutrality is, is really a, a wonderful mastery, but it takes a little discomfort to get there. But that is where we as a society have to watch out that these emotional roller coasters and this inability to find neutrality also is used as a way to manipulate us. Yeah. Strong emotions, you know, whether it's fear mongering or it's like stories of, you know, some conspiracies and whatever, all those things create one emotion, usually a very strong emotion that gets us on this roller coaster. And then we are looking for a relief. And we are not even asking, do we really believe this? Is this really our, you know, who we are? Is this really, you know, in alignment with my truth? No, we are just reacting to those emotions. Oh, this feels good. Oh, this feels bad. And then the emotions become basically our guiding force. They are no longer giving us information. They are forcing us to be and do and go through life in a certain way. And, and we cannot allow ourselves to do this. So we have to really go to the reset of neutrality. And, yeah. and all the things we talked about, it can get us there. <sighs> Jeez. It's, um, it's, it's hard not to think that, yeah, what you said, where we are at with, um, as you'd call it, technology in, with social media and things like that, like right now, it's hard not to, for me anyway, I see, I see a lot of people, um, yeah, working towards that neutrality, like you're talking about, but there's also a huge group probably more without being too negative of people that are going the other way, you, you know, and it's, um, it's, it creates interesting times, doesn't it? Because you think like you, you've got these, oh, well, I'm not, they're not polar opposites. That's not, that's not exactly what I mean. But if you've got these people that are, um, that are able, you know, if, if we're just thinking of it like that, then these two corners, these people that are actually able to be neutral and these people that aren't and the people that aren't, uh, have, it's getting worse for them and there's more of those right. people it, it makes for interesting times because i can see that the people that get caught in uh, that struggle with that neutrality i can you can easily see how they're going to 
struggling certain aspects of life whereas these other types of people that are able to devote a little bit of time and energy towards this neutrality even though it can be scary of course and requires a lot of practice which is what you're saying um they're the types of people that you can see that can sort of deviate from that short-term gratification to that long-term gratification which is it's, it's kind of it is a pretty big deal isn't it because if if you've got these if we've got kids growing up now and all they look for is short-term gratification and they mm. almost like they rewire that conscious and and even subconscious to a certain extent to only look for those kind of things and they can't even see that long-term gratification like it's quite frightening really but yeah i, I suppose yeah. it's like you and i and lots of hundreds thousands millions hopefully of other people that are out there that are are aware of that you know and, and people are doing about it and I, I don't mean to sound too negative there but it's just <laughs> i just think it's very important for us to all recognize that within ourselves and the people our loved ones around us and everyone yeah because it's yeah it's yeah in my i agree it's very important yeah yeah and that's where i think what we just talked about about you know the subconscious giving us messages through emotions yeah is so important you know like this client who really felt anxious that's an emotion that says not doesn't say like oh i want this photo to come up so that i'm having the streak it says no this doesn't feel right to be dependent on someone else's timing on when they send me this people this photo or you know be trapped in this uh, snapchat world i mean that's what the anxiety is saying and i mean i'm not really big on on social media but what i notice is when i go through it after about two minutes i feel a little bit like i had a big mac it yeah. just doesn't feel good it feels like and then i have to stop and i think there is this something where we have to realize i but most people feel the way but they are overriding the feeling they are overriding because there is still a little bit something of uh, you know as dopamine hit that they're getting from it something that makes them in this moment you know maybe feel better or feel somehow inspired but overall it feels yucky because it pulls you out and yeah so limiting the things that we know don't feel good that brings us anxiety that brings us a sense of uh, not feeling grounded or centered i mean that's already a big step forward we don't have to do all or nothing yeah. And it's always a, you know, a trap in itself, but just knowing how much, how yeah. much feels good. And when is that threshold when it doesn't feel good anymore? Yeah, for sure. And just like you explained about the conscious and the subconscious collaboration, we, we, we can't, you know, we can't just look the other way to certain things. We can, if we want to, but you know, it may not be necessarily the right thing to do for that person to look the other way from social media, but it's very much about sort of, knowing knowing your own limits i suppose i, I mean i know for right. me, i don't really go on it very often but when i do i'm just super aware of i mean i generally very i, I never really feel better after i'm on it so i know that that i don't really go on it but if i do it's like as soon as i have that recognition of, of me sort of just flicking through and almost looking for that dopamine hit i'm like fuck that's it right off see you later <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, well that's I'm discipline practicing. i like that well, yes I, I mean i'm not as disciplined in every area of of life but i, I suppose i just done it enough to know that if i just get, put it away or, or, or start reading something it's it, it shifts it sort of a different different outcome but anyway i mean you know it's practice it's we're all trying to get there but <laughs> um 
Doctor, I really appreciate your time. It's been, it's been great. I've got a lot out of this. I, I always love speaking to people like yourself. I, it's, 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 a, it's a huge learning, learning curve for myself and no doubt um, people will get as much out of it as, as I did more, hopefully. Um, but before you let people know where we can find you, um, just let us know what the present moment means to you. Oh, that's a good question. You know, I uh, talked with my wife about this on this hike that uh, what's the next stage in our life and what does it mean to, to you know, move forward? And, uh, and I think the word really we have found is that we want to do more living. And more living basically really means like being present and, and engaged in life. And, uh, and so there are so many things that I feel that are showing up because of that, that I'm just excited to explore, you know, since I don't know how many years we have a little home gym, but uh, we joined a gym now just because, oh, that's fun to do, you know, classes or do something else. So that's something we said okay let's do more living here and you know want to do a cooking class and you know just like explore more because i think what i always find is that i don't want to die with the regret of having not explored and experienced life in multiple facets and i think uh, if we can get out of this belief that our comfort zone is the uh, the holy grail we have to hold on to but if we are actually willing just to put our little feet out of this comfort zone and seeing like whoa there is something really great out there we continue to do what we're here to do which is ultimately to grow and evolve and uh, and i think that's what living for me is about to to grow and evolve and uh, and I hope that all your listeners will also feel inspired to grow, evolve, and make a difference. Because you mentioned, you know, maybe 50% go this way, 50% goes that way. And I think if 50% are really driven by fear and driven by the reactionary mode, I think we're in trouble. And, and I think we do need to really see this time in our lives and us as the stewards for this earth and the steward for the earth for the children and children's children we need to take this serious and say okay let's make as many people as possible aware that we have a choice to be more in in a place of peace and neutrality to not buy into fear and division and and create you know something together in collaboration not only with our subconscious but in collaboration with each other and not just everyone is just fending for themselves. So, so that's hopefully also something that we can be of inspiration to others. Hell yeah. Love it, man. If, uh, it sounds like you're finding your tree. You're hugging the trees. Hugging <laughs> <laughs> the whole forest there. <laughs> whole forest. No, that's cool. Uh, thanks for that. I, I appreciate it. Um, uh, where can people find you? Sorry, doctor. Yeah, just, I mean, two good places are my website, drfriedemann, F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-2-N.com, uh, all in one word, and also my YouTube channel, uh, Dr. Friedman Schaub, that's my last name, S-C-H-A-U-B, and there are plenty of podcasts and guided meditations and tips yep. and tricks on how to really 
get into this empowered state. Thank you very much. I've, I've checked out a few of them and I will check out a few more because I I've got a, um, So yeah, it's been fun. Thanks again for all your time. I appreciate your Thank energy. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please subscribe wherever your ears choose to listen and leave a review if this podcast has helped broaden that horizon. I'd love to hear from you and what you got out of this episode. Stay weird, be yourself, and above all, remember to step over the ants. <laughs>